Scott, definitely thrilled to have a legend as oh, yourself. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's slow down. Let's slow down on the legend talk, okay? Okay. What title can I give you? We got to give you something special. I'm, I'm I'm the founder of Photofocus.com. Okay. So we'll go with the founder of Photofocus.com, which we'll also get into here shortly. But Scott, it really is amazing to have you on the show. So let's jump into this. Scott, how did you get started in photography? I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, where the Indianapolis 500 is located. My half-sister married a guy who ran the Bloomington Herald Tribune, which is the newspaper in Bloomington, Indiana, where Indiana University is located. They were a small newspaper by comparison to the Indianapolis Star News, didn't have a big budget. He got a photo pass. He knew I had played around with some cameras because I was actually – my first girlfriend was the daughter of a photojournalist who worked at the Indianapolis Star and uh, so he said, do you want to go take pictures of the race for us? I said, sure. I really didn't know what I was doing. But he had a full all-access pass, which were hard to come by. I walked through Gasoline Alley, and one of the Nikon reps noticed my pass and said, what are you shooting? I said, well, I've got this old Nikon FTN. He goes, hey, let me hook you up with a brand-new Nikon F1 and a motor drive. Well, <laughs> I didn't even know what a motor drive was. I was 17 years old, uh, you know, and uh, – that was a newfangled technology, and it went like a one-and-a-half frames per second motor drive. I thought I was in tall cotton. And uh, I started shooting the race, and I next thing I knew, an AP stringer saw my badge and said, hey, you want a string for us? I didn't even know what a stringer was, but I said yes. <laughs> and, and, and for all those people at home that don't know what a stringer is, a what stringer is a freelance. It's a freelancer. In other words, you're not employed by the uh, – Associated Press was a big news service like Reuters, and they had people who were – basically freelancers, uh, contractors is what we would use now, but they were called stringers and they put an AP batch on my arm and they gave me a bag of film and said, it's real simple. Put the film through the camera, take it out of that bag, put it in this bag. This bag has your number on it. We'll send a runner every 30 to 60 minutes to pick the bag up. And if any of your pictures make the paper, we'll pay you. I said, cool. So I sat there and Tom's Neva had the good graces to crash right in front of me in the short shoot shoot of turn two. I got a picture in 2,000 newspapers across the country for which I got paid enough money to buy a brand new Camaro and said, hey, I like this photography thing. (laughs) That's how I got started. It's just basically dumb luck. Okay, so fresh out of of high school, young kid, you're working with newspapers, you're doing a little string in freelance photography, you've made some money, you've bought this Camaro – no, I actually didn't buy the Camaro. I made enough to buy a Camaro. But instead, I, I I entered into what would become a lifelong affliction known as gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> and I bought first my first real camera. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so after you bought your first camera, when was the, you know, what was the next step? I guess when when did things start to get serious and you really felt that jump from this is fun, I'm making some money to like, wow, like this could be my life. Well, basically, I, I had a sidetrack there. I went in the Army, came out of the Army, tried to become a photojournalist in the Army. They weren't interested in letting me do that. So I, I basically got a job with Hemmings Motorsports News, a now defunct organization that covered uh, the road racing circuit, primarily in Europe, and and the, the racing, the fledgling racing circuit in the United States. And uh, for the next six years, I traveled the world making uh, racing photographs, making a grand total of, now try not to get too envious here, $52.50 each and every week, whether I needed it or not. And 
<laughs> and I did that for six years and never got a raise. And it dawned on me, either I'm not good at this <laughs> or I need to find something else. So I moved from uh, race motorsports photography to portrait photography. And then I realized you could get paid real money. And that's kind of when it dawned on me that, you know, I don't think I can do anything else that pays this well that's this much fun. So I kind of figured I was hooked from that point on. Gotcha. Okay. So you basically discovered portrait photography and realized there's money in this stuff. And yeah. uh, the rest was kind of history, huh? Yeah, we were shooting with Hasselblad 501Cs and pulling film through them. And our version of the LCD to check the image was a Polaroid back. And uh, <laughs> it's really old school now. I mean, most young people that have worked for me recently, you know, hear these stories and they're just, they get these looks on their face like I'm talking about slaughtering an innocent lamb. <laughs> when I tell them all the things we had to do to make a picture and, you know, I, I, I go on the forums and I just marvel at the discussions about, oh, how's the low light performance on this camera? I'm like, dude, if we had ISO 400 film pushed to 800, we thought we were like in really low light. Uh, <laughs> It's just there's no nexus between what happens today and what I did. So I don't know how much value there is in what I did, but uh, I, I managed to survive long enough that I've made a living my whole life in the photography business. And I feel like that's the best payday anyone can have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of value for everyone at home listening to this about just the story in general. I think it's a phenomenal story. And uh, I think it's one that you know people need to hear. So with that said... Founder of PhotoFocus, where did PhotoFocus come into play? You know, at what point in your life did you say, okay, you know, I'm a photographer, I have great gear now, I'm making some money doing this, I'm really enjoying myself. At what point did you decide, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something bigger than me and create a brand around, you know, this company? Well, to tell, you, to tell you the truth, that sounds a lot sexier than what it really was. <laughs> uh, here, here's the deal. I, I, you know, I've been a screw up most of my life, truth be told. Photography is the only thing I've ever done that I've done well and that's been redeeming about me. And as I went through life and various iterations of photography, it, you know, it just dawned on me that that was the only thing I guess I really cared about and the only thing about me that I was proud of. So I, I just – you know, 18 years ago, uh, this month, in fact, I just had this harebrained idea because I did real well with the web. I took a couple of detours and started some internet companies that made some money, did an IPO, and yet I still couldn't get away from photography because I loved it. In fact, on the day our company went, I did, I founded a company called Net Radio. It was basically Pandora long before Pandora. And on the day we did our IPO, I shot a wedding. <laughs> I was just, you know, I was still a photographer as far as I was concerned. I didn't know how this whole internet thing was going to work out. But I started what we called an internet magazine with PhotoFocus. Because remember, there was no RSS feeds 18 right. years ago. There was no podcast 18 years ago. So I just started what I thought was an online magazine. And the idea was really no bigger than I just want to kind of like give back. I've learned a few things about this. By then I was – you know, 18, well, I'm 62, so minus 18 years, however old I was then. I, I just figured, you know, I might know something, I can help somebody. So we started this thing. I posted uh, a story every day, and I didn't really think much of it. About three or four, I can't even remember, somewhere between three and five years after I started it, Adobe called me and said, do you sell advertising? And I, I thought for a second and said, um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they said, well, how much is an ad? And I said, um, uh, how much would you pay? <laughs> and they said, 5000 a month sound okay? And I said, yeah, 
that sounds great. You know, <laughs> so that's really where this endeavor began to be a business. I never dawned on me that people would care that we were doing this. But, you know, we got an interview with uh, Leonard Nimoy back when we first started. And most people that didn't know until they, he died when they found out he was a serious photographer that gave us kind of a boon and we, we did some stuff that was important. So anyway, we had an audience and the next thing I knew people were calling me and wanted to buy ads and I had to hire staff and photo focus started to become a business when in, in, in my mind it was just an outlet for creativity, trying to inspire and teach. And, you know, one thing led to another and then we grew and eventually blogs came around. And then I really thought, Oh, now this is going to help. And we got RSS feeds. And that's when the site really took off. We we started making significant revenue. Uh, we started the podcast. I actually started TWIP a year earlier with Frederick Van Johnson. Well, Frederick Van Johnson wasn't there, I have to remember. Actually, it was Alex Lindsay, Steve Simon, who is a well-known street and documentary photographer. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ron Brinkman, who's a special effects guy and me. We started TWIP. A okay. year later, Frederick Van Johnson, who now runs TWIP, is into its 490th episode, uh, took over. But I then went on to start the Photo Focus branded podcast, and we've been going ever since. So there's been about 450 episodes of Photo Focus, and now we do six shows a month. That is awesome. So this started out as totally a passion project. It didn't start as, I'm going to take over the world of photography and start this business. It was just, hey... I love creating content around this thing that I do every day. So I'm just going to do that. And I think it's somewhat valuable and I hope someone somewhere in the world enjoys it. And it just kind of took off from there. Yeah. For me to intimate anything else was involved, Prince would require me to have been much smarter than I was. (laughs) I just sort of lucked into all of it. Like everything else in my life that's been good, it's only strictly been because I'm lucky. And I, I think some consistency had to, to do something with that as well, don't well, you think? Well, I do show up. I do show up. You can't win unless you show up. That much I know. So uh, I know showing up is more than half the battle, and a lot of times people are unwilling to show up. I'm just too stupid to know I can fail, so I will show up. Excellent. And, and with that said, <laughs> is it true? Is it? I, I've heard a, I've heard people talking that you've been basically creating a piece of content a day now almost for the last 18 years. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it was true up until about 13, 14, 15 years ago when the staff got big enough that I didn't personally have to do it myself every day. But yes, at photofocus.com, we have had a piece of new content every day. In fact, now we do three pieces a day. That is amazing. So even when it was just yourself, you still made sure that you put out a piece of content every day. I never missed day. a day, Prince, including three times that I was in the hospital. I love that. See, that's the dedication. Yeah, It's the secret. If anyone's listening that wants to know what the real secret to online success for any business is. It's consistency. It's showing up. It's being dependable. It's saying, hey, you may not like what I have to say. And trust me, about half my audience hates every word I say. It's okay, though, because the other half likes me, and that's a pretty good mix. It's, what's important, though, is that they know I've got something to say, and they show up for it. And uh, you know, now we have 20 writers, including you know, a Pulitzer Prize winner, a World Press winner. Uh, we have young women. Uh, we have people from England, Germany. I mean, we've become a much bigger deal than we were when I started out, but, but, uh, yeah, we do something every day. It's really important to be consistent. Absolutely. And and that's just an awesome story to hear. So young guy 
you know, it, it doesn't sound like you came from some pedigree family with a with a million dollar loan from your dad or anything like that. Oh God, I uh, wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> if I get to do that over again, I'll take that story. But it's much better than the one I got. <laughs> I, uh, I was listen when I was doing that stuff with Hemmings Motorsports. I was living in the back of race fans. And race teams that took pity on me would let me come eat with the crew. That was not, not no high cotton there at all, buddy. None. So there was no glam. This was just you just doing truly what you enjoyed doing. And you no glam, just slam. I love just, it. Just 18 hours a day, developing your own film, you know, putting it on drum scan so it could be sent up to the feed. Right. It was, it was nothing, there was nothing fancy or fun about it other than I did get to see the world, got to hang out with race car drivers and meet lots of pretty girls, but that's another story. There you go. That's it. exactly. I'm sure we'll, we'll enjoy that story again one day. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, there's parts of that story. I'm sorry. I just can't tell you, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> with all that said, you know, where is photo focus today? And then where do you see photo? You know, there's so much changing right now. It's, it's just technology and social media and uh, it's really exciting. So I'm also curious, you know, not only to where photo focus is today, but where you see photo focus, you know, five, 10 years from now. Well, here's the thing, you know, a while back I, I, I sold the company to my business partner, Rich Harrington. Rich Harrington is not a name that's as well known in the photo business as it should be, but um, most people have interacted with Rich, even if they don't know it. For instance, if you've ever picked up an iPhoto manual or an Adobe Premiere Pro manual or any number of other manuals, uh, Rich has white label written a lot of books for various photo software, video software. His particular specialty is video. He's a big shot in the video production side, but he, he works on NAB conferences. He's written 37 books. Uh, he's an incredible educator and talent, and he he bought PhotoFocus from me. I retired, moved to Italy to pursue my passion of racing. That didn't work out as well as I hoped. Turns out that the hitting a wall at 207 miles an hour is not good for a fat old man. Uh, so, <laughs> what were you racing, back. by the way? Oh, we were doing we were doing mini Formula One. We were doing IMSA and all different kinds of SCCA, all different kinds of stuff. Okay, uh, I I invested in some racing teams, and you know. Like an idiot, I went out there and crashed a car. But another story, another time again. But, so, but sounds like back. an expensive one too, Scott. Yeah, Geico don't cover that, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the But when I did call them to see about getting insurance for the race car, the guy said, Mitch, just a minute, I want to put you on speakerphone so all 30 of us in the office can laugh at you at once. I, I sold the company to Rich, and then he brought me back as a consultant. So now I literally have the best job in the world. I mean, when I ran PhotoFocus – you know, a lot of people in the business don't like how I did things, and I understand that. I was pretty ruthless because that's the way you had to be to survive. When I was the boss, I I was, you know, I cared about the company, and I did it the best I knew how, which was to fight like hell with everything and everyone and try to win. And now that I'm no longer the boss, I don't have to worry about that stuff. Now I'm like the kinder, gentler me. I just show up and have fun and – and uh, Rich has to worry about how the business works. All I have to do is show up and help. So uh, now I'm just helping and, and a bunch of very smart people. We hired Dave Moser, who used to be the COO at Kelby.com for 15 years. Uh, he's the COO now. And we're involved in all kinds of projects. What most people don't know about PhotoFocus is that we have far-reaching business interests beyond just what you see at the website. We produce content for Lynda.com. Rich and I not only have titles on Lynda.com, we produce content for other people 
uh, on lynda.com. We've been friends with Linda and Bruce a while. We've got we've invested in and helped start up several photo related businesses. Um, we do a lot of white label production, both video, audio, and you know content for. Uh, advertising, et cetera. So we're into a lot of things behind the scenes. And that's really where I like to live because when you're out on Front Street, everybody yells at you and you're a target. When you move behind the scenes, a quiet investor and a kingmaker, nobody really knows who you are. And so therefore, you're not a target. And so that's really where our focus has been. We're helping companies. For instance, we've we've worked very closely with a software company now. We're making all their presets for them. Because we have real photographers that know how those should lo- look, and in the past it's all been engineers. Uh, we're working, you know, we we helped work with a company called Viewbug and helped them get launched. Uh, we've we've worked with some other companies where we've had ownership stakes, and that's been a lot of fun to be involved, you know, as a background sitting on boards. I've done a lot of fundraising in Silicon Valley, so I can help people like that. So we've been doing more of that kind of stuff, which doesn't always show up on the Photo Focus website, and we're fine that it doesn't. Right. But that's the future of our company is working more in the industry to help white label production and and product development and and marketing uh, beyond just advertising on a website, moving to helping people position their products because you know we got a lot of data. We have. 18 years of data at, at photofocus.com and I've got 42 years of data in the industry, 44, I'm sorry. And so, so all that data has got some value uh, moving forward. But as you said, things are changing. You're involved in the Instagram universe and I'm not even a blip on Instagram. I got 230,000 Twitter followers though. That's impressive. We have, a, we're a, we're a blip on Twitter. Okay. Well, there you go. You're probably better off than me because I hear Instagram's <laughs> the hot thing, but you know, I'm okay with not not necessarily moving forward with all the coolest, hottest things. I've got my little thing I'm involved in, and and uh, I'm semi-retired now, so I don't really, right. I don't really have to do anything from a business point of view. I just do it if I think it's going to help the industry or help another photographer or help me go take pictures of something that's cool, which is really what I plan to spend as much time doing as I can until I die, which is going up and chasing the eagles in Alaska, which is my favorite pastime. That sounds like a great pastime, my friend. Yeah, I spend I spend uh, I spend time photographing. I go all over the country photographing birds. That's really where. That's the if people ask me what I do. That's what I tell them. I'm a bird photographer. Everything else is just noise. I really try to spend as much time as I can in the field, sitting in a blind, watching the universe happen around me, and then being lucky enough to capture it when an eagle flies by with a rabbit in its talons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a great sound piece of advice there. I understand you are now in a different role uh, within your company. So to reframe that question, what do you what do you think about photography today? Because it's obviously different than mm-hmm. what it used to be 20 years. You, you've seen a lot of change, right, over your lifetime. Oh, yeah. And with that said, what do you think about where it is today and where do you think photography is going five to ten years from now? Well, I hate to sound like the old man that says, get off my lawn, but I'm about <laughs> to sound like the old man that says, get off my lawn, because that's what I'm, I think that's my role in this conversation. You're, you're the hip young guy. I'm the old guy. I, I'm a concern. I'm concerned about some things that are happening in that I don't see photographers printing anymore, and that bothers me. I think the print is really important. Ansel Adams said the negative is the, is the musical score, and the print is the performance by the orchestra. I, I wish people would put more attention into that because that's the ultimate backup having a print. 
Um, I see, however, photography going the other way where it's an Instagram nation and a photograph is called a photograph once it leaves your cell phone and goes to Instagram. And I think what that has done is, of course, obviously it's devalued the notion of photography as art. But I'm sure someone younger and smarter than me will come along and, and come up with a way to rejuvenate all this. But uh, I, I do think photography has become a medium that's sort of taken for granted because it's been the democratization. I can't say that word very well. Of photography is a good thing and a bad thing. Good thing in that everybody gets to enjoy it. Bad thing in that it people that used to be able to make a living at it simply can't anymore because you got somebody that's willing to do any shot for five dollars and. You know, the young people love disruption, but <laughs> I think they love it until they're disrupted out of a job. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So to take a step back, I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm big on, you know, printing physical images. And I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but we actually have a magazine where we take all of our best content from Instagram and we actually put it in. We actually went backwards and decided that we were going to print a really high quality. You know what? I did not table. I did not know that, but I am now an instant fan of you because if you're doing <laughs> that, that's that, that really trips my trigger. I think that's fantastic because you know, here's the, here's what I'm sad about for people of your age to be blunt. Mm -hmm. I, as a young guy would sit around and pick up, I couldn't wait when I was a kid to get the new look magazine or the new life magazine. Most of your audience have no idea what those magazines are, but they were big photo books full of the best photography in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. And I used to just look forward to those like, you know, like a lonely guy might look forward to his Playboy. <laughs> I mean, was, Absolutely. I would just drink those magazines from cover to cover. I would love them. And I'd and they'd be, you know, I'd have a magazine three days and in three days it looked like I'd had it 30 days because I'd been through it five times. I miss having those physical representations to look at. Um, I still like to go to an occasional bookstore. There's only one left, basically Barnes and Noble. But uh, you know, I like to handle a book. I have an extraordinarily expensive audio system that involves LPs. I don't even know how in the world it could cost as much as it does, but apparently it does. <laughs> you know, some of these things are like like you know. I know young guys watch movies on their cell phones, but I'm sorry. Uh, you know, movies were meant to be watched in 70 millimeter Panavision. That's that's the way they were meant to be watched. And a young guy who's pretty hip, Quentin Tarantino, agrees with me because he made his last movie, The Revenant, in 70 millimeter Cinemascope mm -hmm. and using Panavision cameras the way God intended it. And uh, there are certain things where if you don't control the experience, here's what I, I think is the issue. You really don't control anything. So as a photographer, if all you're doing is shooting stuff, throwing it on Instagram and forgetting about it, you don't control anything. If you make a print and have a gallery, a pop-up gallery event in your town, then you can control what the print, what the display looks like, how many lights are on the print, how it's the viewing distance, what's the atmosphere. And th there's messaging that goes beyond just the instant visual gratification of staring at some pixels. And uh, I think that unfortunately that's lost on a lot of people. I plan to do what I can in the remaining time I have left on this planet to reinvigorate that. I, uh, <clears throat> I agree with you 110% there. We're trying to do our best at Art of Visuals as well with the, you know, the physical print side and, and trying to you know, work on doing more gallery shows with other influencers in different cities to kind of you know, get back to the roots. I, I think as, as, as often and fast as technology continues to advance and will continue to advance – uh, I think we, I hope 
that we'll start seeing more people doing more physical things, doing more live events, doing more gallery work and, and bringing back some of the fundamentals of traditional photography. Well, it's important to remember, Prince, that before – I mean I, I've had assistants work for me and they, they come into the office and they see these old file cabinets filled with thousands of slides in sleeves. And they ask me, well, well, what's that all about? I'm like, well, we'd send a slide sleeve into the magazine replying to their want list. They'd keep it for six months. If they pulled the a slide and used it in a shot, we'd get a check and a usage report. And they, they're like, you sent it in the mail? And I was like, yeah. Well, why didn't you just email it? Because there was no email. Well, couldn't you use Facebook messaging? There was no Facebook. I mean, I run through all their, they keep asking, like, they just get this look on their face like a robot that doesn't, is in a controlled loop and doesn't know what to say next. And, you know, we existed fine in the photography world without the internet for a hundred years. And people, you know, were able to get by. And and you just talked about, like, uh, you, you mentioned in off mic before we started, you'd spent some time in this area. My first one-man gallery show was in Kirkland, Washington. And I got to tell you, it, nothing can replace what that's like to have people come in the gallery to see your work, to have a reception, to have a, a harpist there and some fine wines and some cheeses and dialogue and discussion about the images. That is an experience that simply can't be replicated online. It just can't. And I understand that not everybody wants that experience. That's fine. But I, I would say to those who are worried about you know, how they're going to market themselves that if you can create a subset of your audience and serve them really well with these kinds of things that are not easy to find anymore, you may just find that you're onto something. Absolutely. So what do you think <laughs> – I mean, regarding Instagram and, and, and social media and, and everything being so digital today, where do you see the, the future of photography going uh, five, you know, ten years from now? I, I really wish I knew the answer. I can tell you that interlen- interchangeable lens camera sales are plummeting to the lowest levels they've been in, I don't know, 15 years up until 2010, they were up, up, up every year. And then starting in 2010, they're now down to about, I don't know, 2003 levels. Uh, I think it's moving towards smartphones and, and something like, by the way, Instagram is just the thing today. Tomorrow it'll be Wazua cam or whatever. I mean, it, it, there's always another thing. Trust me. It's always going to be the next thing. So whatever medium you're the master of today, you can't get comfortable because tomorrow's medium will change. Mm-hmm. But I think people have to find new ways if they want to do this for a living, like I've done. Then they have to find new ways to monetize what they do. And that means probably dynamic content. So we've worked with a company called Plotograph, P-L-O-T-A-G-R-A-P-H, which is sort of like Flixel. But instead of starting with a movie, you can just start with a single JPEG and you can animate it. Uh, these kinds of uh, content I find on Instagram all the time. I find this dynamic content and advertisers and brand specialists look look for things like that. They want to find ways to engage their audience. And we do know that visuals are still the best way to do that. So uh, moving through some kind of, of dynamic content, making content more relevant, a still picture by itself is very hard to resonate with people like it used to because it was more of a whiz-bang thing when I was a kid. But now – you know, five-year-olds know how to take pictures. Absolutely. So, so you think that new visual experiences are going to 
uh, are extremely important for the future for photographers in today's environment to actually monetize this and make a real living like you were in the past. New visual experiences. And, and for instance, we're, we're hearing a lot about VR and some, some guy told me, Oh, VR is a new thing. I'm thinking to myself, well, in 1992, I took a class in VRML, virtual reality modeling language. So no, it's not new. It's just that it's got a new life. You know, things like holograms, I firmly believe we'll see a holodeck from Star Trek someday. I really do. And somebody is going to be the person to create that imagery. So that's going to be a job, you know, someone who creates imagery for holodecks. There's always going to be a job for image makers. That's a fact. It's just what's that job going to look like? You know, how's it going to pay? Is it going to be something that's relegated to the likes of working at a fast food restaurant? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be something that you can still make a high line living? You know, there was a time in the mid 90s, Prince, where if you were a stock shooter, you could make a hundred grand a year as a stock shooter with a hundred thousand image portfolio. If you wanted to make two hundred thousand a year, you'd have a two hundred thousand image portfolio. The rule of thumb was about a dollar an image a year, and that was a good living for a couple hundred of us. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the uh, new stock agencies came out where you're getting thirty cents an image, uh, you know, maybe once out of two hundred times it's used. And everyone got excited because this democratized the process. And now instead of a couple hundred of us making a living, a couple thousand of us can do it. But we got wages equivalent to working at Burger King. So was that a win? I don't think so. You know, these are the the struggles that the future generations will have to face. My time worrying about that is past. I'm semi-retired. I get a check whether I do anything (laughs) or not. You know, so. (laughs) No, it's, 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 I mean, really, I feel like, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a photographer, as a cinematographer, as a, as an artist, you know, that's, that's often what I lose sleep over is, is figuring out new ways that I can help empower our community. Uh, and a lot of that empowerment often comes with ways to monetize our hobby. How do we, or monetize our profession? Um, I absolutely agree. I love technology and I love everything that technology has done for us and where it's gotten us. Um, but at the same time, yeah, everyone's good enough. Everyone's a photographer and everyone's good enough. So it's 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 difficult to uh, get paid to do a professional suit when the business owner has a son who is a good enough photographer, right? Exactly. And, and he'll and do it for free. Yeah, that's, that's the constant thing. And now keep in mind that a lot of this is, unfortunately, photographers have created a lot of their own problems by being fans of disruption for disruption's sake without noticing that they were disrupting themselves out of a job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, do you want a world in which, you know, minimum wage is what you get as a photographer? Because that's where we're probably headed. But if you can learn how to productize what you do, if you can create products, new products, exciting products, products that have meaning, that go beyond the digital space, that's where I still think prints will always have some place to you know, some role to play. Mm-hmm. If you can create something that's tangible, touchable, feelable, and an experience that goes with it, keep in mind, people still pay like stupid money for a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And they still pay a ton of money for like photo excursions and things like that going and on they experiences. Still, they, they, they pay money for things that I'm just shocked that they pay money for. But if you can come up with something like I, I, I lead one or two photo workshops a year. I used to use, do 12 or 14. Now I do one or two. But I'm leading a photo workshop to Alaska. People see my eagle pictures. They're like, wow, I'd love to be able to do that. Okay, well, come along. 
you know, we're almost sold out. We sell out every year. Uh, we keep them pretty small because we want them to be fun. But uh, yeah, that that is a thing you can do. But the problem is now everybody's also in the workshop business. Everybody's got a blog. Everybody's got a book. Everybody's got an ebook. Everybody's got a podcast. Everybody's got a workshop. So how do you rise above that? You have to come up with new products that not everybody else has. And exclusivity is the, is the special secret sauce. I'm telling you right now, Prince. If you can do something that nobody else can do or deliver it in a way that nobody else can do or, or provide it in an in a environment or an experience that nobody else can do, that's how you can rise above. And in, the interesting thing about this discussion to me is you may not be the best photographer in that mix, but mm. you still may win. Absolutely. For instance, the guy right now who's best at SEO – with his photographs, probably gets more business than the better photographer who isn't. True. Are you talking like specifically stock, like his photos are more searchable? Well, I'll just I'll just give you an example. I am not a landscape photographer. I've done a fair amount of landscape photography. Some of it's been published. I'm a bird photographer. That's what I'm proud of. But I was at, I was paid by one of the camera companies. I won't say which one. Um, people might remember me writing about this, so they'll know. But I, I went out uh, and shot with a camera at Monument Valley for a day. And I got some images I like, but you know, Monument Valley, there's like a billion photographs of Monument Valley. And if yours is really, really good, there's a billion that are better than yours. And I have a really good shot that I like, but I went there on the day I went, which means I got the weather I got and the light I got, and there was nothing I could do about it. It was good. It wasn't as spectacular as I've seen some other people get, but because I know how to do the SEO stuff in the background, an ad agency in Salt Lake City found my Monument Valley shot and licensed it for a medical company. I made $6,000 off a photograph that I was making as part of another job and would have never happened if I didn't know how to do the SEO, even though, by the way, there are better pictures of Monument Valley. They found mine. So that's what I'm talking about. Gotcha. So you're almost saying that the modern – in today's society, in, in our medium, our platform, our playground, whatever you want to call it – it's almost not good enough just to be a great photographer. It's like almost like you need to be a talented artist, but you also need to understand other tools to stand above the crowd, whether that's SEO, coding, being able to create experiences, almost having an entrepreneurial business acumen. All those things sounds like sounds like you're saying the more tools that you bring to the table besides just your creative uh, capabilities, the, the, probably the higher chances of success in today's environment. I wish that all you had to do to be to be successful was to be great. I really wish because that's the way the universe should work. But if you watch American Idol or The Voice, you'll notice often the very best singer isn't selected. It's the sexiest singer. This is just the way the world has always worked, I'm afraid to say. So you have to have all those tools. Yes, you do. Speaking of America's Next Top Model, have you uh, – <clears throat> what's uh, – Adorama – have you seen Adorama's new TV show, America's Top Photographer? I have not, and and it's just a it's it's nothing. You know, <laughs> I don't want to make a thing out of it, but it's just I don't personally don't believe in photography as competition. I just, as far as I'm concerned, we're not out here competing with each other. We're out here making beautiful art, and it's for the world. And I, I've just never bought into the whole who's a better photographer thing because it doesn't. Again, it doesn't matter. I guarantee you. I'm a pretty darn good bird photographer. I'm going to say I'm in the top echelon of bird photographers, but I know five I could name that are better than me, and I make more money than all five of them combined. It's not about who's best. It's about who's the best business person. 
Right. So I don't know that there's any point to those competitions, but I'm sure it's fun. I'm sure there are people watching and I'm sure it'd be great to be named the winner, but <laughs> you know, it's like that and a dollar 50 will buy a cup of coffee at McDonald's. Absolutely. It doesn't mean anything. It, you know, it, it's, you know, the thing is, I, I see people come and go in this business. I've been around a long time. And since the 1970s, I've been doing this. And it's tough to be devoted to something as long as I've been devoted to this. It's tough to find people that stick with one thing anymore these days. I run into people that in their 20s, I'm going to be a photographer. In their 30s, I'm going to be a singer. In their 40s, I'm going to be a sculptor. I mean, they move from thing to thing because that's the way the world is. Absolutely. With that said, you niche down into bird photography. What's your, what is your viewpoint on niching down? Do you think artists should specialize in a specific area or do you think, um, and, and, and I'm talking professionals. These are people that want to, you know, hope to take this to the next level and make money with it. Do you think it helps to special, to specialize somewhere or do you think it helps I really to be do. a multi-tool? I personally believe that the only way to survive professionally now, I'm not talking about art. I'm just saying if you want to get paid for this, your only shot is to be an Uber specialist. And I don't mean specializing in Uber rides. I mean ultra tight specialties. I know a guy who makes a very good living photographing nothing but steam engine locomotives. Now, that's about as narrow a niche as you're going to find. <laughs> And the, on the forums, the cool kids won't really rate his pictures very high, but he's driving a Mercedes. He's doing pretty well. Uh, the more niche you can be, the better. I mean, there are about 100 people in the world that can do what I do with a bird photograph. So that means I've got a pretty small competitive base. There are very few people that are going to go sit in 110-degree heat four days in a blind to get a shot of a Harris's hawk. I'm that guy. And if you're the person that will – do whatever it takes to get a shot of whatever your particular specialty is and you get known as that you know i've worked i've worked as a consultant with many photography practices trying to help them with their marketing i worked with a guy named uh, you know gary um hamburg for a long time and he's known as the palouse guy he works in eastern washington there's an area of eastern washington called the palouse it's very beautiful we branded him as the palouse guy and he gets a lot of business from anyone interested in the Palouse. And, you know, he can mm -hmm. take pictures of anything, but he shows his Palouse pictures because that's his deal. If you if you pick a niche and you can own it, this is another version. I wrote a book with Skip Cohen. He used to be the president of Hasselblad USA and uh, Rangefinder Magazine and worked at Polaroid for many years. Mm -hmm. We wrote a book in 2010, I think, called Going Pro. It was published by a uh, um, big publisher uh, – and and uh, we we talked about owning your own zip code in that book. You can still get that book on Amazon, by the way. And by the way, I'm not plugging the book because I make a whopping dollar for every one that's sold. So I'm not going to get rich if you buy the book. But in that yeah, in that book, I talk about owning your own zip code, and this is a version of that. Pick pick a geographic location, a specialty where you're the person like, you know, if you live in a small town, go hand your business card to every human in that town and say, I'm your local photographer. If you need a picture taken, I'm your person. That kind of marketing still works and will always work in my opinion, no matter how many Instagrams we have in the world, that, that level of person to person, face to face marketing is unbeatable by any Facebook algorithm 
Instagram algorithm, Google SEO buy, that is unbeatable. It works, and I've done it my whole life successfully, so I know it works. No one's going to ever convince me it doesn't work. Absolutely. I, I and, and almost to go a little further into what you said, it almost sounds – and I think this is true often to business uh, in general – it, it almost sounds like a lot of the certain niche areas where people are making money are in areas that aren't necessarily as sexy as other areas of photography to, oh, dude, to the masses. That, that's, that's the easiest place to make money. That's the, <laughs> and the very – listen, everybody wants to be a fashion photographer, right? Right. Well, you know who makes the money? The, the person who takes pictures of bugs for textbooks. <laughs> yeah. That guy's at the camera store buying new cameras because he's getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then there's a thousand wannabes out there. I'm going to be the next fashion photographer. Well, good luck with that. You know? The, the more narrow your focus is, and if it is on the back end, I worked for years working with software companies, making really good money, developing software for motion picture industries to be used for rotoscoping and things like that. You know? Nobody even knows what that is, and that's great. Because everybody wants to be in front of the camera. That's a very competitive business. But nobody wants to be the garbage man. I'm happy to be the garbage man because the garbage man gets paid. Yes, sir. And the garbage man's always going to get paid. And a good example of that is a fellow named Harold LeMay, one of my personal heroes. People that know me know that I'm into cars, had big car collections, done a lot of racing, been involved in motorsports all my life, on and on. There's a man named Harold LeMay who ran the garbage business out here in western Washington, pretty much from Seattle to Portland. And he drove an old 60s pickup truck and dressed in bib overalls, looked like Mr. Green jeans from an old children's sitcom <laughs> in the 50s. And everyone just thought he was this kind of like, you know, hayseed dude. And when he died, he had like $900 million worth of cars stashed in warehouses all over the, the Tacoma area. And now is collection is featured at what I think is the finest auto museum in the United States, the LeMay Auto Museum in Tacoma, right there in Museum Row, right off I-5 by the Tacoma Dome. So that just goes to show you, all he did was make enough money to build the world's biggest, best car collection, picking up people's trash. That's where the money is. And if your audience is interested in making money, find the businesses that aren't sexy, that everyone doesn't run to. Find the piece of the business that's hard and ugly and dirty. And 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 stake that out and say I'm going to own that. It's like that guy. What's he got the movie Dirty Jobs, that TV show? You know, mm-hmm. there's always those jobs are always going to be there. You know, nobody wants to be a welder because that doesn't. You know, like everyone wants to go to learn how to develop apps now, right? Right. But welders make real money. <laughs> Absolutely. And they make real money from the get go without mm-hmm. a, a big giant college loan to pay off. Um, th- this this part of Photography is underserved, and you know the, the people who want to do it and enjoy doing it, they have a good life ahead of them. I couldn't agree more. There's some anyone listening to this episode. We, I feel like we've had some wonderful topics we've discussed, and there's definitely some amazing nuggets. I pulled out some amazing feedback. I'm sitting here taking notes every now and again, and I, and I catch myself taking notes, and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm recording a podcast. <laughs> I don't need to take notes about what's, what Scott's saying, you know? But that that's just great stuff. Is there anything else that you wanted to say, Scott, before we, before we wrap this up today? Well, if you're interested in photography, you know, my best advice to anyone who's interested in people talk to me is to just go take lots of pictures and turn off comments on any of the forums you're in and don't worry about that crap. 
um, just go take pictures. Go out there and take pictures and share your photography as much as you can. And that's the quickest path to figuring out if you like this and you're good at it and if there's something in it for you. But, you know, whenever you're sitting on these forums arguing with people over whether this aperture camera is better than that one, you're not taking pictures. So go take pictures. Is there uh, where can people if someone wants to go uh, to find you to to learn more about yourself and, and what you do, where can where can they where should I send them? Well, I, I have a portfolio of some of my bird photography at scottborn.com. And I'm on Twitter at Scott Bourne, and I'm on Facebook at Scott Bourne, and I'm on LinkedIn at Scott Bourne. Excellent. And of course, I, I write about, I would say, 10 to 15 stories a month for Photo Focus still. And I'm on four or six of the podcasts there. So I'm still around. I'm like a bad penny. You can't get rid of me. I'll die eventually. But until then, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to keep doing this as long as I'm having fun and people don't mind me being around. So, uh, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm there. And if I can help anybody, my address is Scott at photofocus.com. Send me an email. I try to help you if I can. Thank you for listening. Please share the art of visuals podcast with your friends and make sure to hit that subscribe button. Sharing is caring. You can follow Art of Visuals on Instagram at Art of Visuals or sign up for the Art of Visuals newsletter on artofvisuals.com. Join us next episode for more, but until then, let's continue to visually inspire the world together.